Amen. Good evening, huh? I like doing church. Church isn't just about coming, singing, going home, coming and listening to something, going home, because God's at work in people's lives. And, you know, this is just a little bit of the rest of your week. This is the first day of the rest of your week. You know that Monday or Sunday, Sunday is the first day of the week. You realize that. So this is the first fruits of your week you're giving to God. And as you come in and you worship him and you give to him the honor that's due his name, the praise that's due his name, you gather near to him. He gives you the sufficiency you need to do the rest of the stuff you've got to do. And life isn't just about meeting here. Life is about everyday stuff where I get to walk with God. And so what he's doing tonight in healing hearts, changing minds, restoring people from stuff people have carried for years, baggage that you didn't have to carry because he wants you to put that stuff down so that you can walk with him in freedom. Amen? Amen. And so this is what he's desiring. This is what he's doing tonight. I'm going to read from, um, uh, let's see, how about we go to 2 Peter. And we're going to read from 2 Peter chapter 3. While you're doing that, while you're finding those verses there, um, I'd encourage you, get your Bibles. I know a lot of us have it on the apps or have it on our phones. Great, look those verses up so that you can read them for yourself. Over the next few months between now and Arise, we have a very busy schedule. We have people coming from all over the world that are going to be with us here at New Hope and that are going to be over, over this season, over these next months, March, April, May, and even into June, we've got, uh, just to give you a couple of them, on the beginning of March, I think it's the first and second or second and third, we've got Helen Yusuf who will be here. The ladies have a ladies meeting that they're going to be doing. But Helen is a prophetic. She's, she functions in the prophetic. She functions in singing, prophetic songs. She's the one, you know, the painting back there, the lion. She's the one that does that. She often does that while services are going on where she's listening to other people preach and God's giving her something to paint and she does those things. But she'll be ministering here um, on, in, the, in the beginning of March. We've got um, Sam Matthews coming back. And he's going to be joining us the 22nd through the 24th of March. We've got, um, let me see, I, I got it written down here. We've got, um, well, Easter, Good Friday and Easter at the end of March this year. And so be prepared for those days. We'll probably be doing some special stuff there. Um, March 10th, guys uh, and young ones, it's Mother's Day on March 10th. So you need to keep that in mind so that you don't forget that. Yeah, it's Mother's Day on March 10th. You got that? So husbands, yeah, you want to be ready for that? Mother's Day on March 10th. You want to make sure that that? Pastor Claire is going to be ministering that morning on Mother's Day. She's going to be giving the word. So I encourage you to be here. We have Brother Yoon coming again. And uh, he's uh, the heavenly man. If you've not read that, he was a Chinese. He is a Chinese Christian pastor. He spent time in prison. And I think it was 98 in 1998, he walked out the front doors of a high security prison because God opened every door as he literally walked out the front door. He got on a bicycle and rode away without realizing that his knees, his legs had been healed because they'd been broken when he jumped out of a two-story window to try to escape the police. It wasn't until he had ridden off on the bicycle that he realized his legs were healed. But he'll be here. He was here a couple years ago. Was it last year? A couple years ago, he was here. Fantastic time. Yep. Yes. Living Stones Ladies Conference. She's going to be here for the Sunday as well, though, isn't she? Hallelujah. Very good. We also have um, Rebecca King, who will be here. There's going to be some ministry. She's she was one of the prophets that was with us at Arise, our last Arise. She brought a very strong word for Wales and for us as a church. But she's going to be having, their, they're having a conference here. I think it's from like the Thursday of, let me just double check here. Um, it's in March. I think it's March. Maybe it's April. I got to double check. I'm sorry, guys. I, my writing's too small here. And... 
but we'll, we'll be putting this up. This stuff's going to be up on the website, so you can go to newhopecardiff.uk, and the information will be on there, so you can find out. So now, we've made a deal because they're coming and doing a prophetic conference here, and we're not charging for them to be here. We want, praise God, but I did kind of finagle a deal that for you who are belong to New Hope, that I, I can't, Claire, Pastor Claire, is it a discount or is it free of charge for them? It's a discount. So we are trying to make sure that you guys don't really have to pay anything or much to be able to come to it. I would encourage you to do it. She really carries a substantial uh, prophetic ministry. Um, <clears throat> I think that's pretty good for now. But we'll get these things up for you. Because, listen, what I'm noticing, in fact, there's another one in May, who is Michael and Andrea Brewer. They carry a real apostolic ministry. And they're, the way they pray, they see heavenly stuff broken over an area. And I'm just aware that God is bringing all these people before Arise. Because I think God's going to do something wonderful at Arise again. I know we've gone back to two services. I'm just in my spirit and thinking, Lord, are we going back to three again? Because I believe we're going to grow substantially again. And so I'm just going to say that means that we need people that are going to be able to step up. Because with more, more people coming, there's more people that need to serve. Yeah? You say, well, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Listen, when you're involved with other people, all you have to be is one step ahead of them. That's it. You say, well, I've, I've not been a Christian very long. Okay. All you have to be is one step ahead of them, one verse ahead of them, so that you can help walking the next guy. Just here, take the next step, dude. Next step, lady so that you can take people on. And some of you are doing the Bible school. We've got that going on. That, that's, that's, I think we're at half term this week for the first term. And if you're interested in doing that, you need to talk with Doug and you can get signed up for that one. We have another term this year before we go into autumn after Arise. We'll have another term. The first term we've been doing is on theology, understanding the Bible because there's deep stuff in there, but we're training people to understand it. Because it's good when you're preaching it that you know what you're talking about <laughs> when you're sharing it. And then the next term is about the practicals so that we can teach people how to, how do you do a baptism? Because there may come a time where doing baptisms in the church won't work. You're going to need to do one in the tub. Amen. Yeah, is that okay? Absolutely. You can take them down to the sea, take them down to Taft River, Ick, but hey. <laughs> and you can take them down and do a baptism in the river. But you know what you're doing. You know how to stand in faith. You're standing in faith on their behalf and with them and to do a baptism. What about leading communion? You don't have to be an ordained elder to lead communion. You can do it at home with your family. You can have mates over and over, over food. You can have a meal. At the end of the meal, you could do communion with those that are there. But that you can do it. That you know you're, you're confident in the scriptures. You're confident in the spirit of God working. You know what you're doing. And so that you can do it with a good conscience before God and with those that you're gathering with. How to, how to judge prophecy. Grace will be coming and helping us in that area so that you can learn. Because when prophecy is given, because we need to judge prophecy properly. Because not every, everything everybody says in the midst of the congregation is correct. Some people say stupid stuff. Some people have evil intent. Not many here. I haven't seen many here in that way. But, they're, they're, but it, it happens where somebody just miscommunicates something and it can lead someone astray. You have to be careful of that. And you need to be able to judge prophecy properly. But that's the kind of stuff we're doing for the second term. If that interests you, you need to talk with Doug. Amen? Amen. Let's read from the scriptures here. Second Peter chapter 3. This is Peter. He's the one in whom Jesus said that to you the keys of the kingdom are being given and he was the one that was used to see both Pentecost happen, Cornelius' house happen, and the gospel then go to, to, to the Jew, to the Gentile, to Samaria. He's the one that was one of the inner three with Jesus, James and John and Peter. He was the one Jesus was using. He, he blessed him in that way that he was going to use him as one of the leaders in the church. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is what he says. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this, what? Second epistle. What does that mean? That's why it's second Peter, not to get too complicated. That's why it's second Peter, not first Peter. He tells you, 
I'm writing the second letter to you. Epistle means letter. He's writing the second letter to them. I'm writing the, this second epistle in both which I, I stir you up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. What's coming in the last days? Scoffers, those are people who make fun of. They mock. They, 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 they when, when you say literally, <laughs> scoffers come. And they're going to say certain things. In the last days, these scoffers will come. Walking according to their own lust. And saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing changes. It's just going to keep going as it is. When Jesus said he's coming back, where is he? God says he's going to judge the world. Where is it? What's happening? This is just, it's, they, they deny those things. And saying, where is the promise of his company? For the, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed, what? Perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as what? A thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let me read that last verse again for us. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for its truth. And we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would make your truth clear to each heart, that we may those who, be, who will rightly respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're in the last days, people. The last days, when it comes to it, Peter said it, that, that in the day of Pentecost, in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. So when did the last days particularly begin? Well, at Pentecost. But we're in the latter parts of the last days. There are things that are coming into fulfillment now that have never been. 1948, they said, no way Israel's ever going to get established again. And now it has a nation. It continues to be the center of all the world's media watching what's happening there. Why? It's a little tiny space. It's not much bigger than Wales, and Wales isn't very big. I think we've got about 3.4, 3.5 million. It's a little space. But Jewish people from all over the world are returning to their own land. It's their land. It was given to them by God. It goes back to Abraham. God promised Abraham, I'm going to take you out of Ur of the Chaldees and I'm going to give you a land that you can do. I'm going to make your descendants like the sand of the seashore. And what happens is he said that in, in your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so he, he makes this statement there back in Genesis. But what's really happening is that, that the one who would come, who would be Christ, who would be a son of Abraham, would be the one through whom every nation, Jew and Gentile, could come to God and he would touch every nation of the world, every family of the world, people groups, sub-people groups, that he would touch them and bring them to salvation and he would touch the whole earth. And this gospel will be preached in all nations and then the end will come. The scriptures are very clear on those. But we live in these last days where we have people that mock and, and argue. You have, you have professional atheists who try to undermine the truth of God's word. 
They try to make you look stupid, feel stupid for believing that, the, that God raised Jesus from the dead or that God became man in Christ. And they try to mock and they, they make fun of. Entire religious systems have been designed to specifically deny the deity of Jesus. They say he's nothing more than a prophet. No, he's a prophet, all right. Moses spoke of a prophet that would come that if you didn't listen to him, you'd die. But Jesus is more than a prophet. He's not just one who speaks the word of God. He's the incarnate word of God who's come from God because he is God. John chapter one. Jesus is the manifestation of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's no doubt. But people mock these days. They say, well, oh, what's one of them that they say? Well, well, where in the Bible does Jesus say he's God and worship me? For one thing, the son of God didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Islam deals with the idea of trying to make everyone submit. Jesus came and washed the disciples' feet. God became man and he served in such a way to give his life and his blood to redeem humanity. Oh, but he says he's God, all right. Before Abraham was, he says, I am. He uses the same phrase that it was used with Moses. When Moses was at the burning bush and he says, whom shall I say sent me? And God speaks to him and says, I am. Over and over again, Jesus says, I am. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. The people said, how is that? You're not even 50 years old. Jesus made it very clear, calling God his father. That was unheard of. The, the Jews picked up stones because they knew exactly what he was referring to. And they said, we said, for what good work are you stoning me? They said, not for a good work, but you being a man claimed to be God. So they knew exactly who he, who he was claiming to be. He speaks of himself as the son of man. The son of man is not talking of Jesus' humanity. It's talking about in Daniel 9, where there's a kingdom that's given to the one who comes on the clouds of heaven. And every nation, every person will worship before him and he'll be given an everlasting kingdom. And Jesus is calling himself the son of man, comparing himself to the one who prophetically was announced in Daniel. Oh, he's saying he's God, all right. And that every nation will worship him. Every human being will bow the knee. Every knee, every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But entire systems that are bent on trying to undermine it. And we get into arguments. I hope you're not one of those Facebook trolls. And just getting in unlike arguments, they don't always help, do they? But scoffers come. Not only come, they're here. And they mock on the media. They mock on programs, on cartoons. Deny the existence of the one true God. And they say, well, where, where is his judgment? Where is his coming? And who does this God think he is? And, and I hear people say this. They said, well, I wouldn't believe in a God who does fill in the blank. Let me be very clear. If God does something, it's always right. If God does something, it's always good. If God does something, it's always just. It's always righteous. And if you don't want to believe in a God who functions that way, then it's not God that you worship. You worship a God in your own image. You worship a God that you've made up and doesn't exist. But God does bring judgment. God does bring salvation. And for just a few minutes tonight, I want to bring your attention to what Peter is saying. Because he's, he, he's, he's painting a picture. He says, listen, these people who do this, they willfully forget stuff. In other words, they suppress the truth because of their own wickedness because they don't like what's being said. They don't like the idea. So they ignore the facts. They ignore certain things. They deny it. Do you realize evolution at its core is a religion? Instead of believing in the, uh, the unseen, all eternal God who made everything, they just believe nothing made them. Tell me which one is more stupid, sorry. But it's a religion at its core. Down through the ages, men have made up gods in their own image. They look to this power, that power, and everything fails. Heaven's God's home. And it's up to him who gets in. And he sets the parameters. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, except through me. There's a denial of God. There's a denial of the coming of Jesus as the Son of God. 
there's a denial of his judgments. In fact, sometimes even in Christianity, you have people who deny, no, God won't judge anyone. Everyone's gonna go to heaven. It's called universalism, they call it. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have faith. Faith in what? I don't know, faith in whatever. It's like the guy standing at the end of the bar and says, I believe I'm gonna have another beer. He's got faith, doesn't he? But see, people come up with these different ideas about what it means. But no, it's not faith as in faith. It's faith in a direction of one who can save you, the one who can bring you in. Jesus alone is the savior. It's faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not just faith. And no, everyone doesn't get to go to heaven. Let me just say, when people think like this, what they do is they try to take a characteristic of God. Let's say the love of God. So God is loving. Is God loving? Absolutely. More loving. His love is an infinite kind of love. More loving than anyone you could ever meet. His love is love. It's, it's, it's deep love. It's everlasting love. It's eternal love. It's a redeeming love. But love is not love. They take the love of God and they put it above the scriptures. But scripture says that if you remain outside of Christ, you don't get to experience God's love. And they say, well, yeah, but God is love. So he wouldn't know God is love. And he said he would. And because God loves his people and his children, and he loves even his creation, when something evil happens to it, he will bring judgment on those who have done evil. Wicked men and wicked women will perish. That is the love of God manifest. Some other people say, well, God is love. So how could he let someone go to hell forever? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The sacrifice for, for, um, for sin is, is blood, but it can't just be any blood. It has to be pure and holy blood. Otherwise the debt isn't paid. So when someone goes to hell for their sin, they go to hell forever because they're continually paying the payment for sin. It doesn't come to a point and it gets cut off. Let me remind you, what did Adam do? <laughs> when Adam was in the garden and Adam sinned against God, what did Adam actually do? Hmm? Did he kill anyone? Did he tell a bunch of lies? Was he committing adultery? Well, there wasn't anybody there anyway. What did he do? He ate a fruit. He ate a fruit. He ate a fruit in disobedience to God and brought condemnation on all humanity. He didn't kill anybody. Adam did less sin than most of you in the room. But all it took was one and sin and death came into the world. Boy, if, if Adam was condemned because of what he did, what space do you have? But God is faithful. God is just. God can't just look at people and say, it's no big deal, I don't mind. We don't put the characteristic of God above his word. God says, I put my word even above my own name. And so when it comes to who he is, that he is faithful, he is just, he is loving, he is so good that he cannot endure evil. And he will deal with it with the judgment that he has in his own being. And he will bring everything into righteousness, everything into correction. And people forget that. Peter, he goes back to the beginning. Now, I need to balance this out, recognize something. God does not rejoice in the destruction of the wicked. God does not get a kick out of seeing someone suffer. God does not enjoy watching even wicked people. He does not enjoy watching them perish but it doesn't change the fact that they will. He does not enjoy it. God does not desire, actively desire that human beings end up in hell. If he did, he would never have sent Christ. If he wanted to see us condemned, then Christ would have never come and given his own blood to bring us into salvation, to make us clean. But Peter, Peter goes back to the beginning. Let me show you something. Go back to Genesis if you can in your Bibles. We'll come back here to Peter. So keep your finger in that place. Let me show you something. How many of you have read the creation story? Have you read it carefully? 
Some of you are like, oh, I put my hand down right now. One of the phrases that you see throughout the creation story is that God said it is good. Continue. He says it's good. He makes stuff. It's good. Makes more stuff. It's good. Makes more stuff. It's good. Comes the last day. Makes bases. Very good. So God likes making good stuff. Yeah? Fair enough. Do you realize that one of the days God doesn't say is good? Have you noticed it? One of the days he doesn't say, in fact, it's day two. Let's go to, let me show you something here. Genesis chapter one, and I think, let's see, I think it's verse six, it begins where, yeah, this is the beginning of the second day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the, okay, remember, Peter is describing this. He said the creation came out of the waters, waters from waters. He's describing this event. Second day of creation. There's no human voice. There's no human eye. There's just God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. Hey, the angels watching what's going on. They're not helping with creation. God doesn't really need help with it. He speaks it into existence. He said, let the firmament, that means the sky in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament or the sky and divided the waters which were under the firmament um, from the waters which were above the firmament. And so it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And so an evening and a morning were the second day. There's no, no reference to it being good. Well, why is that, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you. Because in Genesis 6 when the wickedness of man had reached its pinnacle. And it says that every thought of man was evil before God. Violence covered the earth. Stuff was going on that, that, that I mean, there's, there's stuff that's said about in those texts that are really hard for scholars to get their heads around. About sexual activity, strange flesh, things that were going on in that time. And God says, I'm done. And he begins to look across the earth and he finds one that he's gonna, grace is gonna be upon this guy's life. Noah, his wife, he's got three boys and he's got their wives and grace is on the family. And he tells Noah prophetically, you're gonna build a boat. This is the dimensions. You're gonna bring two of every animal on it. There's gonna be clean animals that you're gonna bring on seven of those because those are sacrificial animals. You're gonna bring in some extras but every living thing, according to its kind, not every dog, not every kind of dog, but the kind dog, felines for the cats, canines for the dogs, and every other one, so that out of those genetics, every, every, every uh, animal could be reproduced on the planet. He says, and then you're gonna go in the boat. He says, I'm gonna flood the earth. The Bible says that the floods broke open, the heavens unleashed. The water that was stored above the heaven was broken open and that water came down and began to flood the earth. And the waters under the earth, every deep place was broken open and it began to flood so that the mountains themselves were underneath, um, um, uh, underneath the water. And his boat, this boat floated around. It's, it would, that, that boat was floating around in such a way that it was, yes, my dear. Yeah. Okay. And that boat was floating so that when it finally came to rest, it rested on the top of Mount Ararat in Turkey. Oh, they still have the evidence, but people suppress the truth. They hate it because it's hard to get a boat that high unless you got water that high to put it up there. They find clamshells, large ones, that are shut on top of mountains. When a clam dies, it always opens its mouth. But when it's flooded and sediment comes on it very quickly, it can't, it remains shut. Well, how do you get a clam up on a mountain? That's pretty rough, unless you got a lot of water to do it. These are just things that you can look at yourself. Let me tell you, there's a, there's a, a website you can go to if this stuff interests you um, called Answers in Genesis or AIG.org. 
these guys are scientists, not smarter than me. That's fine. How they deal with astrophysics and all the kind of stuff in regards to God's created world. But people deny the flood. They deny it for two reasons, because evolution won't fit in the time scale they want it to if there was a global flood. Number two, it means that God is real, the Bible's true, and God judged the earth. They suppress the truth. They willfully forget. Can I, can I just say that I know we, we, like, we like to read Bible stories and stuff to kids, yeah? Um, sometimes we read over these stories in the Old Testament and we make them childish. Let me pause for a moment. I want you to think what it was like. People are just going on with their lives, getting married, buying fields, partying. Hey, everything's going on as normal. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that God told Noah, go in the boat. And the Bible says God shut the door, not Noah. The Lord closed the door around him and sealed him in that side of that boat. Eight out of the whole world. And then it starts to rain. Scholars say that rain probably never appeared on the earth before that. But now it begins to rain. And now the waters come up. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He warned people, dude, there's space on the boat. Get on the boat. Repent. Get on the boat. There's a flood that's coming and God is going to wipe all, all life from the earth. And you need to get on. Come and be saved. Ha, 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 Oh, man, we ain't got time for you. And what are you on about? What are you on, Rain? What are you talking about, man? You're a kooky old man. Until the door was shut and it started to rain. And the floods began to come up. What happens when it floods? What do people do? Go to higher ground. Go to higher ground. Everything's starting to flood now. What do we do? Grab your kids. Grab them. Quick. And it's flooding. It's coming in. Now get the kids. Come on. Hey, remember that guy, Noah? He's, he's got that boat thing. Maybe we can get on there. Come on, Noah. Hey, open the door, man. I can't. Oh, come on, Noah. It ain't funny no more. Come on, open the door. I'm out here. Me and my family are out here. I warned you. I told you. I didn't shut the door. God did. No, 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 no. Open the door, man. Come on. This ain't, man, the water's here. Man, it's coming up, man. I ain't no swimmer. Man, my, my kids can't swim. Come on, man, open the door. I can't. It's locked. The door's shut. God shut it. I warned you. Yeah, we didn't believe you. We didn't realize that what you said was going to be true. It's not a children's story, is it? Noah, come on, man. This ain't funny. Man, come on, I'll give you a... I don't have anything. Everything's flooded, man. I get, just, just save me, man. I, God do that? Yeah. Let me caution you something, men. Fathers in the house, where you go, you take your family. When you reject Christ and you say, well, not interested, and your little ones, they want to follow daddy's footsteps, don't take them to hell with you. Don't take them to hell with you. Don't just send them to church. Come to church. Bring them along. Let your life be a light and a guide the way it needs to be in front of those little ones. This is serious because God says, like Noah's time, so it will be in the last days when the Son of Man returns. But Peter says they willfully forget it. But please hear me, does God enjoy that? No, he has compassion on all that he's made. Remember, he didn't say it was good that the waters above would come down and flood the earth. Did he know? Absolutely he knows. He knows the end from the beginning. Does he tell man what to do? Yes. Do they obey? They haven't yet. In fact, even tonight, God commands all people everywhere to repent and come to Christ. Some of you are sitting there stubborn like, well, I'm not going to do it. Oh, I don't want to give him my whole life. I'm just going to give him, I don't know, my half in, half out. That doesn't work. 
There was no half in and half out of the boat. You know who the boat is? Jesus. He's the door. Whoever enters through him shall be saved. And, and tonight, right now, God is not desiring that you perish. He's made a way. He's made provision. He's, he's made a way through, a way, way in. Let's go back to Peter. See, the thing is, is that God is very clear on this one. He says, but what's gonna happen this time around isn't a flood of water. You don't need to worry about the world being flooded like that again. Whatever they say about global warming, whether it is, whether it isn't, all the conspiracies that are about it, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, one thing you don't have to worry about is the whole world getting flooded like that again because God wouldn't do it again and he said he wouldn't and he put a rainbow in the sky as proof of his covenant promise. But he will judge the earth again. Not with water, with fire. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Everything on the planet, every, the glory of man, everything we've made that we think is so fantastic will come to an end in a moment. The twinkling of an eye, like a thief in the night. And this is what Peter says. He says it very clearly here. He says that that, 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 that world that existed that perished by fire, but now or part, part of perished by water now, verse seven, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition, the destruction of who? Ungodly men. What are ungodly men? People without God. They're godless and they do things that are contrary to God. So let, let, let's start it off simple things. Um, God says, don't tell lies, right? 10 commandments. God says, don't tell lies. What do people do? And we know they lie. We know they lie. We try to figure out what politician is lying the least. Your mates around you, you don't believe half the thing they say. Why? Because you tell lies. You know, they tell lies. Everyone tells lies. You just know it. You're late for work. And what do you think up on the way to work? Some excuse that you can make. Well, the traffic was bad. The traffic wasn't bad. You got up late. It was your fault. You were up till two o'clock in the morning watching something online you shouldn't have been anyway. And that's what happens. God says, don't lie. Why? Because he doesn't lie. He's the God of truth. You know, God makes promises and keeps them. That's good news, isn't it? Unless it's judgment and then we're not too happy about that. Do you know that God wants us to keep our word? Psalm 15 and verse four. Doug, put that up there for me. Psalm 15 and verse four. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears, he who swears gives a promise. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, when you make a promise, you should what? Keep it. What if it's gonna cost you more than what you thought? Is it okay to break the promise then? Not according to God's word. Why? Because God's that way. Hear me. He made a promise. He made a promise. And how much did it cost him? To his own hurt. He gave his blood. God is truthfully keeping promises. And he promises the word that's reserved, not just the one that was done by water and destroyed, but that same word, it, it, it reserves the future of this planet and all of creation under fire. It's just making sense. So I guess you got to make sure you're not an ungodly person or you're not a godless person, huh? How are you going to do that? <clears throat> But beloved, do not forget this one thing with, with the Lord. One day is as a thousand years, it says in verse eight. And a thousand years as one day. Now, some people use that as some kind of a cryptic thing. It's not a cryptic thing. What God is saying, listen, right? God's promised that Jesus is gonna come back, that the world is gonna get judged. There's gonna come a culmination and an end of all things. People are saying, well, it's taking a long time for that promise to come to pass. 
So maybe God's not going to do it. Hang on. Peter says, listen, if it takes a day, God will keep his promises. If it takes a thousand years, to God, time is nothing. The promises of God are sure no matter how long it takes them to be fulfilled. The promises of God are secure. So if God says it, my job is to believe it, that settles it. So God, I'll take you at your word. If it's promise of blessing, if it's promise of salvation, for those that are in Christ, you're promised eternal life. You've not seen it yet. Well, pardon me, you've not seen heaven. You've seen the power of it work in your life, but you've not seen heaven yet. How long is it gonna be? I don't know, I hope a long time for you in that sense, because I hope you got lots of fruit in this world. But there'll come a moment where that, that, that faith, that hope becomes sight. And you'll see that he kept his promise. Whether it's a day, whether it's a week, a year, two months, whether it's a thousand years, makes no difference. God's word does not fail. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So you can trust the guy who never lies. You can trust in him. Every promise he will bring to fulfillment. He's a deliverer. He's a savior. He keeps those that belong to him. And he has a way, listen, he has a way just like in the days of Noah where he can save the righteous and destroy the wicked at the same time. That's what's coming. Where those that are outside of the ark, outside of Christ, where judgment will come. And he has a way in the midst of it to keep those that are his from perishing to keep them, to cover them, to cause them to shine in the midst of darkness, no matter how dark it gets. Because his elect, he's, he pours grace on them, grace on them, power into them, enabling from heaven for them. Which one are you? Are you inside the boat or outside the boat? I'll get back to verse nine in just a moment because this judgment that's coming. And in fact, if, if, you, if you read on in Peter, I'll start reading from verse 10. He says, he says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Anybody ever ripped off anyone in the night? No, don't raise your hand, sorry. <laughs> I worked security at Tesco's. I watched people come in and try to steal things all the time. They'd come in to get ladies into prams. They'd look all dainty like, oh, I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, that sounded like Mickey Mouse, didn't it? Yeah. So, and coming in and, and doing that. And they, they shove stakes underneath. They pick the child up stiff under the thing. That little flap thing sticks up. Oh, I didn't know it was there when they get stopped. Why would I steal with my kids? Because you do it and so does everybody else. Here he says like a thief in the night. If, if you knew you were being broken into, would you be ready for that thief? Now, I, 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 know, I know we're not supposed to do stuff in this country, so I'm going to use the U.S. <laughs> Someone comes to your house in the U.S., and they try breaking in, you have the legal right to shoot them. The legal right to shoot them. I'm not saying I'm against that. In, in, this, in this country, uh, there was somebody who got, who got mugged carrying money from his work to the bank, he had a big thing of coins. He got mugged or tried to. He took the coin bag and smacked the guy who was uh, gonna try to rob him. And the guy got hurt. The guy who smacked him got sued. You talk about craziness. That's just stupidity. But he says that when thief... Yeah, I don't know. My reason and their reason might be different. But when it comes to that, when it comes to that, is that he says that, that when these events come, they're going to come like a thief in the night, which means you're not going to be sure exactly when it happens. So you need to be what? Ready. If you're ready, you ain't got nothing to worry about. If you're ready, you ain't got nothing to worry about. You got that alarm system going, you're fine, isn't it? You got that big Rottweiler or whatever, you're all right. But this is going to happen, and there's going to be this, this, this coming of the day of the Lord, or the day of the Lord Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. And it says, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both, both the earth and the works that are in them will be burnt up. The elements themselves will, will pss, 
But it says a great noise. In Revelation, it says that there come a point where, where the, the heavens and the earth will be no more because to not stir up treasure on earth. Because when you store up treasure on earth, um, your heart's in it, and then that perishes, where your heart going to go? Well, you got some problems now. This is what's going to happen, saints. Please hear me. You, you're not going to save the planet. You, you're not going to save the planet. Should we treat it with honor because God made it? Absolutely. But guess what you're not going to do? Save the planet. It will come to an end. So the idea that we can do what God says isn't going to happen, who do you think is greater, you, the UN, or, or do you think God is in his word? Do you know that all creation groans for the revelation of the sons of God? Creation itself is waiting until the last one who's going to get saved will get saved because it's going to be released from the bondage that happened in the curse where God said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. From it you were taken, to it you return. And when that's finally dissolved, the, the earth would rather not exist than exist in a framework where it's not in absolute union with its creator. Oh, I wish we would take that example. Is this making sense to you? Because this is what's going to happen. I don't know if you'll be alive. You might be, it might be your children, your grandchildren. I don't know, it might happen in our lifetime. Things are fulfilling, being fulfilled. It's coming to a fruition. But God is not willing that any should perish. But that all that, all, all that he's made, all the human beings should come to a place of repentance. Let me finish up on there. We'll come to an end now. God is not slack, verse 9, concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is what? Long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to, the, to repentance. Let me just say this, what it's not saying. It's not saying everyone's getting saved. That's not what it's saying. The Bible makes it very clear that anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast in a lake of fire. The Bible's very clear that the, the beast and the false prophet, that Antichrist, will be cast in a lake of fire which burns with, with fire and, and sulfur and, and the torment will come up a day and night forever and ever. He's very, very clear in the scriptures. But well, what is it saying then? It, doesn't, it, it seems that I've heard people use it. That means everyone's getting saved. No, everyone isn't getting saved. N number two... Some people think, well, God would like to save people, but is powerless to do so. I'll show you. God is not willing that any should perish. So if he, he, he doesn't want anyone to go to hell, he, he wishes you'd go to heaven, but he just doesn't have the power to get them there. That would be scary, wouldn't it? Uh, have you guys thought through this kind of stuff? Because this is what people present. That somehow God is weak. That God is subject to your will and your choice. That God is somehow, he'd like to save you, but you're just too, too strong for him to reach into your life to bring you to himself. That somehow your will that's under the power, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit and now works in the sons of disobedience. If that was true, not only would humanity have more power than the will of God, but it would, the enemy himself would have more power than the will of God. And that's false. That's false. God's nobody's, nobody's fool. Who can resist his will? If God puts his mind to it, what are you going to do to stop him? Do you remember Saul of Tarsus? He's like, man, I'm going to destroy me, this church. I'm going to take them out. And Jesus just said, oi, you, off the horse. Boom. Blinded for three days. Confronted him up front. Tell me who was in charge. Saul of Tarsus wasn't looking for Jesus. He hated Jesus. He hated Jesus and everything connected to him. And Jesus just stepped in his way and said, uh-uh, no more, you're mine. He didn't ask his permission, did he? Oh, Lord, help us with this. Because when God gets in your face, are you going to resist his will? 
It's a bad idea. Jonah tried to do it once. You know where he ended up? Man. God is not willing that any should perish. Let me put it this way. Look at the, look at the words themselves. You have to look carefully at the, what it says. God is not what? God is not, like, let's drop down to the second half there. God is not um, towards us, not willing that any should perish. That word willing means to actively desire. God doesn't get a kick out of watching people suffer and die and go to hell. He doesn't actively want that. If God actively wanted that, there's nothing you could do about it. <clears throat> Some of you all like watching fight videos. You like watching on them and they're all fighting and beating each other up, smacking each other around, hitting each other with chains and who knows what else. And you're getting a kick out of that. You enjoy watching the violence. Can I say, let the Lord change your heart on that? Because his soul hates those who love violence. Because God doesn't love violence. God does not actively desire that people perish. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to suffer and die and, and perish for eternity. That's why he sent Christ. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to, to, to lose out from what he's providing for you in Christ. He doesn't actively want that for your life. So why don't you just cooperate with him tonight? God is not slack concerning his promises, but the Bible says that he's making space. The fact that you're still breathing tonight is proof of God's mercy and kindness. <clears throat> Especially if you're not yet a believer especially if tonight you've not really surrendered your life to Jesus. He has given space for you because he could have taken you out before. He could have let you take yourself out before. Some of us have done so many stupid things that our lives should, we shouldn't even be alive today. But God in his mercy spared your life. Why? Because he wanted you here tonight to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you could believe in him and not perish because he doesn't want you to perish. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? Satan doesn't have that power. God has all, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. Let him lift you up. Let him bring you in. Let him save you. You don't save yourself. He does the work. The gospel is the work that Christ did. When Jesus went to the cross, he took your sin that should drag your soul to hell. He took your sin on himself and he bore it in his body on the tree. He took the full payment for your sin. He paid for your life. He paid for you to redeem you, to make you his. He gave everything to bring you into that relationship so that you wouldn't perish. He loves you with an everlasting love. He calls you. God commands, you see, he doesn't just want people, he doesn't want people to perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, the gospel's going out to every nation. The gospel's going out to peoples everywhere. The gospel's coming to you. Please hear me. I used to say this when I was working in the prisons. And I'd remind the guys as I was there, some of them I'd only see once. And I'd say to them very clearly, I said, listen, on the day of judgment, this day will come back to you. And God will make very clear to you, I sent somebody all the way from, all the, way from the United States and brought him into that place when you were there at that time to tell you about Christ and you wouldn't listen. Or, you remember that day that message came to your heart and it's like you melted before God and you're like, God, would you really be willing to forgive me? Would you really be willing to save me? Is the blood of Jesus Christ really enough? Lord, I put my trust in you and I bow to you. You raised Jesus from the dead. You've got to give me new life and it changed their lives and eternity forever. We've seen both. We've seen both here. 
God is not actively desiring that you perish, but he's given space and time for you to come to repentance. You're still breathing. The gospel has come to you. And right now, God is pleading through me to you. Be reconciled to God. In my spirit, I just have this word that some of you are still playing. Whether you don't think God sees or you're just, you've got one foot in, as it were, one foot out. You're playing a, a game there. Listen, you'll perish. You're like standing on the fence. The devil owns the fence. Jesus said, if you gather to me or you scatter, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. That's a lie. It's a deception. Some of you have come. You've, you've received deliverance. God's delivered you from spirits. He's delivered you from sickness. He's, he's helped you. He's healed you. And then you come off and on. You don't really give yourself fully to the work that God wants to do in your life. You don't seem to apply yourself to the hunger of God's word and really taking it on board and, and feeding on it and coming to him in prayer. And, and those, those things seem to be devoid. Something's wrong. And then you come back a couple of weeks later and you need freedom again. The reason you came back is because you went back. You don't be like a dog or a pig. A dog who having, or, or a pig having been washed, going back to the wallowing in the mire and the mud or a dog that vomits everything sick in its stomach and then goes back and has lunchtime again? We don't do that. You're not a pig. You're not a dog. You're one made in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, and he doesn't want you to perish. But you can't play a game. God's no fool. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction corruption, if you sow to the spirit, righteousness and eternal life, which is it going to be for you? Because the rain's starting to fall. It's not wet this time. Where are you going to stand? Can I say to you, get in the boat before the door shuts, before the thief comes in the night before the time runs out and your clock stops, before everything comes to fruition and the fulfillment and you're wishing, why couldn't I just go back to that moment that night and say yes to Jesus? Don't let the moments go by. And maybe tonight as some of you stood up saying, I want to give myself to the reaping. I want to give myself to the work of God. Oh, praise God. God's raising up men and women in this day they're going to take this message out and unashamedly and boldly proclaim it in the power of the Spirit. And they're going to bring many into the kingdom. They're going to call. They're going to go into the highways and the byways and bring people in. You've got to be in it yourself before you can bring anybody else there. But tonight, give yourself. Time is short. Time is short. I'm, I, just, I, had this, I want to talk to some of these young men here. This is amazing. I'm, these... You know, your mates are perishing. You know it. Don't be quiet. They say, oh, we don't want to hear it. Don't shut up. Why? Their souls are based on it. God's placed you in that context with his word, with his truth, with the gospel that's touched your life so that those around them can be saved. You've got about 24 months, between 18 and 24 months, when you first come to faith, before they get so tired of it that they walk away from you or they get so bored of it that their ears go shut you got about 18 months. You really want to see them saved. you got to open your mouth early, and you got to stay consistent with your walk. You don't go back. You don't go out getting drunk with them. You don't go back on it. You keep walking it. You remain. You keep plodding along. You open your mouth and speak because God's put you in that position so that they can hear. And the rest of y'all, your workplace, your friendships, you say, well, I don't really have a whole lot of friends. Then go to a pottery class. And make some new ones. Go do a, don't do a yoga class. Go do an exercise class. Yoga is Hindu worship. You don't do that stuff if you're a believer in Jesus. You don't do the taekwondo or the, the karate stuff either. My, my sister, when Pastor Claire and I went to go and visit her, 
we were there and her, they adopted a little boy and he was having some troubles, we knew that. And I remember the one day we were standing in our little room that we had that Pastor Claire and I were staying in and, and my, my, my nephew, it would be, he was, he was shouting at his mama. He started cussing at her, ended up slapping her across the face. She did a timeout. I'm in that room and Pastor Claire's saying, don't get involved. Just leave it. Just leave it. Don't get involved. And I'm like, and then he started talking about killing some other little child. I mean, it got bad. And I'm like, mm. when I heard him slap my sister, I was like, oh, I've had enough. And I walked out there. I, I grabbed his face. Not hard now. I looked, uh, now nah, truthful. Now I didn't hurt the boy. And I grabbed his face, looked in his eyes, said, don't you ever speak to my sister like that again. In that real kind of authoritative, low kind of voice, you know. And then his eyes rolled back into his head. And a big old grin came over his face. I got incensed. I said, oh, that's what we're dealing with here. And that spirit I took, get out of him now in Jesus' name. You'll be delivered in the name of Jesus. Spirit, you unclean thing, come out of him. And that spirit came out. And my, my sister was a bit, I was expecting her to be happy. She was a bit miffed. She wasn't happy with me. She goes, well, we tried that. It didn't work. How come it worked for you? I'm like, I don't know. I said, you got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know, you know. And then she started going off in this, that, and the other thing. And I was really surprised because I thought, you know, if someone gets delivered like that, you'd be like really excited because now their whole life is different. I was like, well, what if he doesn't get saved now? It's going to get worse. Well, as the week went on, I remember uh, they have homeschooling. And so the, she, she said to me, well, you can do the religious studies today. I said, uh. Okay, I didn't know what she was teaching. She gave me a verse. I walked through it with the boy. It was amazing. The kid had a mind on him. He remember everything he spoke it back, everything we taught. And he took it to heart. I was like, that's amazing. I went out and Pastor Claire went in with him, spent a few minutes, and the boy prayed to receive Christ. His heart got changed. What a wonderful story. And then my sister went and put him into taekwondo lessons. What the freak are you doing? There was freedom available, and he'd enter into it. And then because of her leadership, she stuck him back into uh, learning about chi and the inner power and this Eastern mysticism. And so if you want to get involved with people, go to a class. Go and do, don't do taekwondo or karate. Or, if it's self-defense, it's self-defense. I'm not against that. But the Bible is, we don't enter into those other kinds of Eastern mystics, mystic stuff. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do the yin and yang. We don't do the yoga. We don't enter into that kind of stuff. We don't go to pot smoking classes. <laughs> go and do a basket weaving or painting or an exercise class and get to know, get to know the people around you. Because you can be salt and light Every place you go. Because how will they believe? How will they hear unless someone tells them? Some of you have family members. Maybe you've been mad at them for a long time. It's time to put that away. Because they too, you don't want them to perish. We don't even want our enemies to go to hell. You were an enemy of Jesus. And he so much did not want you to go to hell that he went and came and he died for you. And gave his blood. Be merciful just as you have been shown mercy. I want to give you an opportunity tonight that if you've not put your trust in Christ, that you do it now. If you're still playing a game halfway through and you're kind of standing on one side and the other, can I call you to repent? God's desire is that you repent, that you turn. And if you're willing to turn, he'll give you power. He'll give you enabling. He'll draw you out of the pit that you're in. And he has the power to save you completely. And when you're in Christ, nobody can take you out of his hand. Hallelujah. And so tonight, I don't know what your heart looks like. I can't see in it. I'm glad. I don't want anyone to see. I don't want to see in anybody else's heart. God does. The Bible says that we see the outward appearance, but God, he looks at the heart. What's your heart like tonight? You willing to humble yourself and step fully through? No going back.
no going back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Tonight, let salvation visit your house. Let's stand together, please. Jesus is also the healer, and because of that, and some of that you've seen tonight, that we'll have our prayer teams up front. And if you need, a, a, you need prayer, you need healing, <clears throat> or maybe you want someone to pray with about where your heart condition is, <clears throat> you make your way forward, and we want to pray with you. But as we close, I want to pray this prayer out loud. And I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer out loud with me. Let's pray it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you came to save me. Thank you that your blood makes me clean. Thank you that you make me accepted. That you wash me thoroughly. You take away my guilt. And you cleanse my heart from sin. You release me from bondage. You said I can walk with you in light. I trust in you. You're raised from the dead. You're alive. And you're coming back. I trust in you. I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. I don't want to keep anything back. My life is yours. I surrender to you. Be Lord of me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen me. Empower me to follow you for my whole life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to sing. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time tonight, or maybe you prayed that and you're like, I really believe it now. And, and you've kind of like stepped through. Come, let us know. Let us pray with you. We want to lay hands on you. Pray for the baptism of the Spirit on your life and come and we'll give you some scriptures that you can read for yourself. Because listen, this is, that'd be the, this is the beginning of that life. And you're going to walk it all the way home with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing.